So we're in Titus chap, uh, chapter 1, and we are in verses 10, 11, and 12. And so uh, we, we got through probably one and a half questions last week, but I'm, I'm of a mind lately that uh, reading the scriptures in a class is really important. So somebody read 10, 11, and 12 and read them, read them slow. Where there are many rebellious men, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision who must be silenced because they are upsetting whole families, teaching things they should not teach for the sake of sordid gain. One of themselves, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gardens. Okay, I, I was listening to Chester Macaulay maybe three, four weeks ago. And uh, not only is he a good teacher, but you can learn me- methods from him that he implements. He said that whenever he starts into some verses, that the first thing he does is he reads, he reads them. And then he reads them a second time, and then he reads them a third time. And by the third time, he has a greater understanding than he did the first time. And so from there, he begins to put together a lesson. So I've, I've adopted that, uh, and I, it's kind of cool how that works. So if you go through, if you go through um, verses, um, read them more than once, and maybe two times or three times. So, the first question we talked about was uh, what what was Paul's main emphasis uh, uh, in terms of elder responsibility, and we discovered that the. Uh, Elder, the number one responsibility for an elder is what? To accurately handle scripture. You know how, he knows how to handle scripture. He knows it. He reads it. He can refer to it and he can exegete it accurately and he can correct those who misinterpret scripture. Okay. That's the number one thing. Then the second thing we talked about, did Paul have few or many detractors, empty talkers around? And uh, we discovered that he has a lot of detractors. Um, I, I'm reading the news this morning, and I have no idea who this person is, but he's a, he's a Christian singer. And uh, he's been going around the country and, he has all these experience of, about pe- people book him and then they they unbook him like the day before he's supposed to speak and he has demonstrations against him and all this stuff is going on, you know, like the Apostle Paul because he thinks that, you know, the world is anti-Christian, which it is, and that uh, they're uh, aggressive towards him. And he, his whole attitude is, is that he probably wouldn't be doing a good job if they didn't resist him. You know, so so uh, we we ended up last week uh, talking about what is an empty talker. It's a great it's a great phrase. It refers to the talk is devoid of truth and thus vain and useless. Now we sometimes in contemporary Christianity 
there'll be the latest book or the latest, uh, guys all remember the prayer of Jabez and, uh, you know, and, and the latest thing that comes through the Christian environment and everybody seems to jump all over it and think it's really great. The prayer, the prayer of Jabez, uh, had nothing to do with Christianity. Nothing. And yet, uh, Christians would defend it to the death, thinking that it was really spiritually solid. And uh, it wasn't. And then, then I think the next thing that came through was what we called spiritual formation, which was really transcendental meditation with holy water on it. That's really what it was. And, and, uh, the techniques of spiritual formation were the same techniques as, as TM is in terms of emptying your mind and waiting for somebody to show up to uh, possess your thoughts. Wonder who that guy is, you know. And they, uh, their attitude was, is that the Holy Spirit is the one who always shows up. I don't think so. And so uh, my niece went to uh, Westmont College, which is the center of of uh, spiritual formation. A guy named Dallas Willard was the guru. And they have a life-size statue of that guy right in the middle of the campus. <laughs> Supposed to be a Christian school, right? Of course, I don't know if you go to, if you go to college in, uh, in uh, Santa Barbara, California on a beautiful campus. <laughs> it's a little tough to get serious. So, so an empty talker, he's devoid of the truth. He's vain and he's useless. One who's not subject to God and can have nothing worthwhile to say about God. Anything contemporary going around today that would fit that description? About, um, what's the latest dance? Um, oh, I know what it is. It's the chosen. If you sit down and look at the chosen, you find that just because they use the name of Jesus Christ, that somehow it's valid. But if you know the scriptures and you study the scriptures, you find, wait a minute, they're adding things to this that don't aren't in the scriptures. So let's talk about that issue. As believers... Do we in any way have the leeway to in, interject and interpret scriptures from our viewpoint? Probably that's kind of not, that's not a clear question. Do I have the leeway to <clears throat> portray what I think about scripture as scripture? With the Holy Spirit's help, and he enlightens us about the Word of God. Yeah. Well, think back. When we went through the requirements to be an elder, what was the deal about Scripture and elders just a couple of verses ago? Man must be, and even here, a man must be, able to handle the scriptures, read them, understand them, and teach them. Depending on the Holy Spirit, absolutely, no, no question about them. But how do you know you're right? 
you know. What's interesting is, is that the word of God is, it's really interesting. God's word says what it says. And there isn't a lot of room for opinion. There's very little room for, well, I think he meant A, B, and C. No, it says what it says. You know, it's, it's, take this verse. There are many rebellious men, empty talkers and deceivers, especially the circumcision. The next verse says, and they must be silenced. That's a little Nazi, isn't it? <laughs> what about that silence? How do you silence them? We'll, we'll get to that. But the point is, scripture says things that sometimes we don't like because our emotions are involved or, or because we have quote unquote an experience, you know, that, uh, and we do rely a lot. Contemporary human beings rely a lot on their emotions and experience. I mean, if, if you get famous and, and they're going to interview on you on TV, what's the very first question they ask you? How do you feel about whatever the subject is? Donna. Um, I was thinking of Galatians 1.8, but though we are an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than what we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting how, how um, one, Paul is, is adamant about who he is and what, is, what he's been sent to do. You know, And oh, by the way, we're not talking about a bunch of people who had Schofield Bibles. <laughs> what did they have? They had letters, and they had the Old Testament. Okay. So I was thinking. Oh, sorry, Mike. Go ahead. <clears throat> I was just thinking about the fact that first of all, we see that they're rebellious, so they we know that they're defiant. They're not. This is not just like your morning coffee gossip around, you know, kind of what happened in church group tonight before or some. I mean, obviously the word, when we get into empty talkers, we're talking about worthlessness, like a worthless conversation, but that conversation was also defiant and it had a, it had an authority behind it or it, it appeared or it was presented as authority. And so I was like kind of thinking about what these Cretans would be lying about. And then with the circumcision, um, would also be uh, presenting by way of empty talk. And I was just kind of thinking about what is the what's the one thing that dilutes God's word? It sounds like it, but it starts to dilute it, and that's that counterfeit. And so there's some type of capitulation, this giving in to another system of authority, and it's a no. mixing of it. And, it and, and as they mix, it's still authoritative and defiant, but it's empty, it's worthless because it does not, communicate exactly what the Lord is saying. It's been modified ever so slightly, and it could be modified by feelings. That's the easy one, right? I don't feel like that's yeah. really the right thing for us to be doing. Yeah. Um, but when you're like, when you start to put authority behind it, you have to mix it with another system. And in, in Titus's case, he was being mixed with both legalism and licentiousness. You've got the licentious on the Cret- Cretan side, and you've got the legalistic on those of the circumcision. And those are two different systems that when mixed with the scripture become empty and worthless. Yeah. And that's I think what 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 they were Paul was warning Titus about here in part. You know one thing I think is interesting is you've got guys like R. C. Sproul, Alistair Begg, there you and go. Spurgeon 
who are all reformers and you know, reform theology and in some ways they're considered the giants of Christianity, but they've missed the boat. Satan has really, has really like deluding. You know what I'm saying? It's amazing. How, how could Spurgeon, <laughs> who practically died trying to do all this stuff, mm-hmm. be wrong, but he is, you know? Yeah. It's dangerous. Well, it's a modern day example of what we're, what you're facing, Mike, in the role of an elder is, is, you know, delivering truth in, in view of this rebellious, empty talk that ultimately is designed to fit a system, in that case, Calvinism, um, or at least capitulate to a large degree into full on, you know, reformed. Yeah, you know, and so, how do I say this? How do I know I'm right? Yeah. That's the, that's the question, right? And so, when we look at being right, uh, we are only right so far as we are communicating God's thoughts after Him. Mm-hmm. And what are the mechanisms that we need in place in order to get to that? Well, Courtney talks about read it. Just read it not not reading the reformers or all of the those that are the commentaries um, yeah yeah and that could include miles stanford it can include her sure. sure does read the word of god and we know that we have a helper in that yeah. um, and you as you start to understand that the holy spirit himself is illuminating you to the truth of that word you can be you gain confidence as you become more acquainted with him yeah and you'll always know that scripture interprets scripture. Um, it's consistent within itself. It cannot take a rogue, you know, uh, contrast to itself. So you can keep yourself in check just by reading the parallel passages of scripture. Yeah. You know, gospels, it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. For, you know, for those of us in, in looking at the, the New Testament truths, it's the, the Pauline epistles largely. And so, we do have we do have a language barrier and and things of that nature, and so we have to work to get to the to the nitty gritty. But you won't miss the truth of God's word just by reading it and staying consistent, letting it stay consistent with itself. Is that fair to say? Yeah, that's good. I I, I think there's one other element that goes in here, and it has to do with um, Uh, as you grow spiritually, what's really happening? Are you just getting more scriptural knowledge in your, in your brain and then that you can, you can feed it back? I think that, uh, the, the great work of the Holy Spirit is to reveal the person of Christ to the believer via his word. And so there becomes this, uh, intimacy with Christ that wasn't there before. And so uh, on Tuesday, we're, we're studying Hebrews. We just went through that, those verses in uh, I think what, what chapter we in four, I think, that they uh, he's talking about the Jews and the and uh, coming out of uh, 
Egypt and, and how they saw God's works for 40 years, but they didn't know his ways. And that's what he held them accountable for. So if I say to you, um, do you know anybody's ways? What do you mean by ways? Well, I know them personally. I know, uh, it's, it's like I know Donna's ways and she knows mine. And she can predict how I'm going to act in a certain circumstance. She knows my viewpoints and she knows how my temperament, she knows all those kinds of things that just my works wouldn't necessarily uh, reveal about me. Well, God is the same way. He reveals his ways through his word. And we know, number one, he's a loving God. That's his, he, he wants to bless, but he's, but he's righteous too. He's holy. And you learn that about him. And, uh, you learn that, uh, uh, you always want to be in a position where he is able to bless you, uh, even if the blessing is a trial, because the blesser is in the trial. You know, how did I, how do you find that out? Well, I'm spending time with word in the word. I'm back and forth with different people that, uh, uh, I, uh, trust and we go back and forth and we, the spirit of God not only teaches me, teaches you. We de- we go through, uh, uh, things that we don't think are right or you go along for a while and you, you don't even think about something that isn't really right and then the spirit of God opens up your understanding about it. And bingo, you know, oh, well, that doesn't fit who I know through God's word the Lord Jesus to be. So it can't be of him. One of the commenters on this verse said, one who is not subject to God can have nothing worthwhile to say about him. You know, so am I subject to God? Yeah, I hope so. You know, I'm teachable. You're teachable. So you learn not only the scriptures, you don't become a scholar, but you do become a close, intimate, come into a closer, more intimate relationship or fellowship with the God of the universe, the Lord Jesus Christ. So that when something comes down the pike, you don't need to have chapter and verse. You may go look it up, but you, you instantly understand that's not the Lord Jesus that I know. Hence, J.D., you're talking about Reformed theology. God does not work in the church based on law. He does it. He operates based on grace. And if you don't know that, or you've rejected that, you're, you, you can effectively say, well, you don't know the Lord very well. He's not a vindictive, strict. And even, even when you study Exodus and the law is given, it wasn't given to hammer the Jews. It was given to show them, if you're my people, this is how you ought to live. And I'll bless you in this if, if you uh, are yielded to me. And they didn't even take it that way. They took it as, well, we've got to obey all these things in order to become righteous. Well, how about Abraham? He didn't obey anything. He just believed God and he became righteous. And my favorite guy, Lot, God calls him a righteous man. Why? I mean, really, he's not a real sterling character. 
but he believed God. How about David? You know, David was a king. He wasn't, uh, you know, and he was guilty of adultery and murder and all these, but he was righteous. Why? Because he believed God. You and I are righteous only because we believed him. Um, so would you say that the New Testament always evaluates the message by the truthfulness of its content? Understand the question? Would you say that the New Testament always evaluates the message by the truthfulness of its content? Yeah, I think it does. I think it does. So, what do you think the main flaw? Question three. What do you think the main flaw in false teachers was? Legalism and law. Well, um, there's something before that. Mm-hmm. Would you say that they rebelled against God? Yes. They use God for their own gain. Um, mm. They were really against God's truth. And I, you know, I often think about the Apostle Paul going from town to town and his message, the message of the Lord Jesus as the, if you're a Jew, he's the Messiah. He died to pay the penalty for your sins. And there's a whole new environment that we now live in. It's, it's called grace. And, I, you know, having grown up, and most of us grew up in, in some sort of denomination, a guy comes in the room talking about grace, we think he's crazy. You know, because our whole attitude is just tell us what to do and we'll do it. You know. So here's Paul going into a, a, a different th- cities like uh, Thessalonica, and he's teaching grace to them, and they're idol worshipers. Amazing. And in one month's time, he, he had converted enough people that when they kicked him out of town, he actually had a church to write to. He did it in a month. So... um what would you say then is uh, like an empty talker? What what um, what characterizes one of these people? I think the character of a person like this is that he promotes human opinion over God's word. Right? You promote human opinion over God's word. Now, there, there aren't many guys around to do that today, right? So, he also calls them deceivers. Uh, Russ, you, you mentioned some reformed teachers. When you go listen to one of those guys, you expect that what he's going to say is the truth, but you find out that it's not. It's not the truth. You know? Mm-hmm. They're all pious and speak well, and, and they're good, you know, 
Some of the greatest detractors from the truth are tremendous teachers. Really, really good. You know, have tremendous skill. Uh, but it wasn't the truth. And legalism, I think, is the number one thing in our society today. Well, I wouldn't... Legalism and emotion. You know, it feels good to be given a law by God and, and you somehow fulfilled it. You feel good about that, right? I went to church today. God is happy with me. I feel good. He must feel good. Capisce? I think uh, pantheism, where there's many gods, is like rampant in America, worshiping the earth, God's in the animals, God's in your in your mouth, on your. He's everywhere. He's in you. And God isn't above us all. He's part of us, but He's not above us. I mean, and that's rampant. It is. I agree. It is. It's uh, Romans one, right? Yeah. Um. Should have been ready for that. That they began to worship the creature rather than the creator. Right. You know, uh, Genesis and Exodus is full of that kind of thing. You know. Mm-hmm. So, dashing on to question four, Paul says, when Paul says, especially those of the circumcision, what does he mean? Those were the Jewish teachers. Jewish teachers. That uh, professed to be Christians, but they weren't. Yeah, or, or they didn't profess to be Christians and they were, they were rebutting what Paul said because it isn't Jewish doctrine. See? Now. So. Jewish Christians without any particular emphasis on the fact that they're being Circumcised is Romans 15.8. It just means Jewish people. Somebody read Galatians 2, 7, 8, and 9. But on the contrary, seeing that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been to the circumcised, for he who effectually worked for Peter in his Apostleship to the circumcised effectively worked for me also to the Gentiles and recognizing the grace that has been given to me. Okay, now drop down to verse 12. Okay. <clears throat> for prior to coming, for prior to the coming of certain men from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles, but when he came, when they came, he began to withdraw and hold himself aloof, fearing the party of the circumcision. Uh, we've been through this story a lot. What was the deal with Peter here? So what Paul says in 7, 8, and 9 is that Peter understood. But now the test comes. And uh, here comes what Paul describes as Jewish 
Judaizers from Jerusalem. And what does Peter do? Oh, by the way, Peter's a righteous man. <laughs> what does he do? He withdraws. He folded. Yeah, he doesn't. He doesn't. You know, uh, have you ever seen the, the movie The Water Boy with uh, Sandler? And, uh, uh, oh, who's the guy that plays the coach? The coach in that movie was uh, always intimidated by this coach of the other team. So when the other team's coach started talking, he would start to slither back in the crowd so nobody would see him. That was Peter. He's going into hiding because, you know, he's a leader. Everybody knows he's a leader, and he's got to stand up to these guys. So have you ever been in a situation where you probably should have said something, but because of peer pressure you didn't? Yeah. I have. Sure I have. And I always... You know, uh, accuse myself of being a, 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 a Christian, a loser because I didn't stand up. You know, so you know, Mike. Another, I think, key thing is that when they went to the council in Jerusalem to discuss being saved by grace through faith alone. Peter stood up and he's going, I witnessed with my own eyes those Gentiles receive the Holy Spirit just like we did. Mm-hmm. And so it's just someone that powerful to kind of fold up. It's just interesting. You think Peter's just having a bad day? <laughs> <laughs> no. It shows that it shows what a powerful influence peer pressure is on all of us, you know, on all of us. Not that we're supposed to go down a curse field with a megaphone, you know. I mean, I, I, I look at that guy and I think, I could never do that. One, I couldn't justify doing it. <laughs> the thing was, though, historically, there were a lot of Jews that lived on the island of Crete, a lot of them. And uh, when... when uh, um, Paul visited there and, and Titus, and uh, they began to set up churches. The, the, this Jewish population rose up aggressively to silence uh, the Christians if they could do it. And you you know it'd be it's it's like today, if you happen to be involved in a grace based Christian environment and you have a bunch of friends who are law based, you're going to have conflict. You're just going to have it because um, uh, grace and law don't mix like oil and water. They don't. Um, I don't think she'd mind me telling the story. Karen Jenkins, uh, her father is a, how do I deprive, talk about He's a post-millennial legalist and he can't understand what this grace thing that that uh, uh, Karen's all about, and so what they did was, is they, she said, well, I'm going to give you a book, and, you, and he said, well, I'll give you you a book, and we'll read them, and then we'll talk about, it. right? So the book that she gave him, I think, it was the Green Letters, and I've 
I don't know what the book was that she got, but I've talked to her several times. Uh, it, it seems like when you read this reform stuff that the logic is pretty good. The problem is, is that it, it just reeks of no grace and just, uh, the impingement of tyranny, you know, and Karen is really uncomfortable about that. So she's, they've both read the books and they're going to get together this week or next week and they're going to have their meeting, you know, and so in that kind of an environment, the person with the strongest personality usually wins. <laughs> you know, it's like getting in an argument with Courtney. He's going to win most of the time. <laughs> so, so, but you can see, she loves her dad, and her dad loves her, but they have a different viewpoint uh, of how Christianity functions. Is it either function under a principle of grace, which he's never been taught, he doesn't know anything about it, and or or under a principle of law, where what his pastor says is more important than what the God, what God's word says. There we go. There we go. You know. I think everybody here, Roger and myself and anybody else who's a teacher will tell you, when I say something, it's your obligation, your responsibility to go look up and see if I'm telling the truth. And if it's I'm not, you come talk to me. Okay. How much time we got? Oh, goodness, we're done. Sorry. I was hoping to get farther today. But next hey, Mike. Yeah. I was going to say one thing that's odd is R.C. Sproul and Alistair Begg and Spurgeon will all tell you that we are saved by grace. Yes, they will. Faith alone in Jesus. Yeah. But but you also may not be one of the person that, persons that God called. You know, they they really do believe that there's a certain group of people are going to be saved, and well, their problem is is that it, you have to endure to the end. Yeah, if you do not endure to the end, then you never really were called, and you were faking it your whole life. Right. How? I mean, I think I'd take a pass on Christianity if that's what the pre- premise was. That's what Catholicism is. Yeah. That's what all reform theology is. That's what all religions in the world are. The only one that guarantees salvation by you believing in the person and work of Christ is Christianity. It's the only one. He guarantees it. Your salvation is his responsibility. I've said a thousand times, if I don't make it to heaven, it's his fault, not mine. Because he promised. Yeah. See? So... uh I'm, I've been while we've been talking. I've been trying to think of this guy's name. He just died in the last year or two, but he was probably the most famous reformed theologian of the day. The heck was his name? But he was like that, you know. And so my question with him would be: five minutes before he dies, as well, you're right at the end. How'd you do? Yeah. You're not gonna say, <clears throat> you know, you didn't do enough. Or if you're a Catholic, they say, well, you didn't make it to heaven, but you made it to purgatory, which means someday you're going to get to heaven if your relatives come up with enough money. <laughs> anyway.
All right, we got to close. Father, how we thank you for your word. We thank you how careful you are to teach us not only um, your works, but your ways. And through the spirit of your spirit that we can uh, have a growing intimacy with the Lord Jesus Christ, who is our very life. And we thank you. We pray in his precious name. Amen.